0: Uh, good morning. We are in week two of a series we started last week called Pursuing God. Um, and if you've missed any of our old sermons, you can find them online. We have a website at urfellowship.com. Uh, if you missed anything, they are they're there to listen to. Um, Romans 12.1 is where we will get to in a couple minutes if you want, have your Bibles and want to turn there. Last week we looked at this, uh, an invitation. From God to walk in, we use the three the three liquids, right? Water, milk, and wine, where there is cleansing, sustenance, and joy. And what we said last week was that well, what has to happen uh, is what has happened to many of us is we've been given these uh, these great promises of God, right? We've been told that there is peace, joy, and intimacy with God, and there's a there's a life where you can walk with Him and know Him. Uh, and he fills your soul, but that has kind of eluded a lot of us. So what we do is we kind of concentrate on the old instead of uh, having what is new stimulated in us. So instead of pursuing God ferociously, we walk around trying to, by sheer will, kind of make ourselves better rather than letting God, who uh, who can do the healing and sustaining, uh, and he does that in the midst of our pursuit. So I think what happens is, is we maybe subconsciously kind of start hoping there's going to be this Sunday morning or a retreat or a event, an event in our lives, right? Or, or maybe a sermon that gets delivered and we hear it and then we're just all the weight is lifted off of us and I'll just you know, walk in the fullness and the promises of God if I hear that one sermon. We never, maybe we'll never struggle again and we we'll just float around in intimacy with God. So there's maybe some of us kind of waiting for that sermon, So it's my fault, you know. But, but there's this kind of this thought process. It is a way of thinking that I have found myself in from time to time. And maybe you see this in your own life. And if you're not careful, you'll catch yourself there. And there's these ways of thinking. Our thought process can, can slow down or altogether stop our spiritual growth. That is why the Word of God is very, very concerned with the life of the mind. Where the mind goes, the life will absolutely follow. The life will follow the mind. And so the Bible is going to say a lot about the mind. But I think we are in a... It's, we're kind of in a dangerous time. Because we, like we talked about last week, there is this pull on us in this culture to kind of veg out. To, to not think about deeper things and to kind of take a passive approach when it comes to the life of the mind. The problem with that is... Uh, the world is not taking a passive approach to the life of your mind. Right? The world is being very, very loud in your mind. So so I have to bite my tongue when I hear parents say things like, uh, I'm not going to tell my kids what to believe. You know, okay, that's fine, but just understand, you're the only one on the planet not telling your kid what to believe. Right? There are influencers everywhere you look. Right? MTV is telling your kid what to believe. The radio is telling them what to believe. Classmates, teachers are telling them what to believe. You're the only one not telling your kid what to believe because there are a million images and ideas a day that bombard our mind. So there are a couple of ways uh, that we should pursue God with our mind. There's an offensive, proactive way, and then there's a defensive way. So we're going to look at the offensive way first. So Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in a view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we've all heard, okay, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. We've heard that in a thousand different ways. Uh, But I just want to point out that this this doesn't just say be transformed. Good luck. You know, it's, it seems to say the transformation oftentimes has a beginning in our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what I think it means is that we walk in such a way that the lenses through which we view life are the lenses of Jesus. So we see everything under the covering and under the authority and under the power of Jesus Christ. This is saying that everything you think, everything you see, everything that you're about, all of your life needs to be viewed through these lenses of you being God's child and you having a purpose in your life. So whether it's business, marriage, play, hobby, or whatever, if you renew our minds by seeing those things through the lenses of Christ, we will be transformed. So let's move to 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance, Through the knowledge of God and and of Jesus our our Lord, Sorry, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, there there are two things that this scripture says that should be motivations for us to kind of wrap our minds around the weighty themes themes of God and, and what he's doing. The first one is that grace and peace are ours in abundance through a knowledge of God. So, this is a great hope to hold on to. That in Christ and in a true knowledge of who He is, grace and peace expand in our life. So what happens when grace and peace expand in a growing knowledge of God is you begin to understand more of the personality and the character of God and what God is doing. And so, then when difficulty comes, you go, alright Father, I'm not saying I'm enjoying this. You know, I'm not saying I like this, but I'm saying I trust you. And that's his grace and mercy expanding in our lives out of an understanding of who God is. So there's a great hope there. There's even a greater one here, and it's the second part that says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So in my growing knowledge of Jesus Christ, I am promised life, not just existence. Not I'm going to make it, but life there's a quote from uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you have probably read it. Um, outside the Bible, it's the second most circulated book in history. In the book, there's this character named Christian. And the book is an, is an, an analogy, so you need to kind of get it and read it. But Christian decides he's going to go on a, a quest to find truth. And everybody in his life starts telling him he's foolish for it. His wife, his children, his, the people in the town. He's trying to leave, and they're all going, you're foolish you're foolish, you're foolish. And the book says the Christian plugs his ears and starts running towards the woods screaming, Life, life, I must have life. I love that quote. But I think oftentimes we hear the call of Jesus Christ. Instead of going to him, we plug our ears and run to the television or the computer or phones or gadgets or trinkets and go, no, 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 life, I must have life. As if those things are the great provider. We run from life to hollow things that don't satisfy us. But here we have this amazing promise of His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You know, I don't want to be a neat man. I don't want to be a nice man. Those are not goals of mine. I want to be godly. That's what I want. And He's still working on me and He's still working on you. But this is saying, in a growing knowledge of Him, there's life and there's godliness. And then there are even more promises in Hebrews 10.16, if you want to go there. Hebrews 10.16. That says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put their laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Now you're going to see God kind of separate the heart and mind here. right? I'll put my laws on on their hearts. This is good news, because now it's no longer about... Begrudging submission, right? He's not going to say, I'm the all-powerful God and you will serve me or be damned. That's not what's happening. He's letting his people walk with him in joy. He's writing it on their hearts so that the desire of their heart is to know him and walk with him. So the rule in Christianity is not begrudging submission, but joy. This is the desire of my heart, to know him, to walk with him, to experience him. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Not only will I put it on their hearts, but the next part says, I will write them on their minds. So it is both heart and mind, spirit and truth. So it's not just a heartfelt emotional frenzy that God's trying to bring about in us. I've also seen the other side of that fence where where guys are just big, you know, egg headed monsters with no heart. They just walk around and quote Edwards all the time, but their hearts are cold. They aren't growing in the fruit of the Spirit. The love and joy and peace and kindness of what the Holy Spirit grows in the heart is missing. So these it's this, this both sides of the fence. He's just saying, I'm going to write them on their heart, I'm going to put them in their hearts, and I'm going to write them on their minds. Heart and mind, spirit and truth. So practically, what's, what's this mean? Philippians 4, eight is where we're going next. I love this text, and here's what it says. There are There are two things that are going to be commanded here, so I want to pick up on them while we're reading. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we've got got two commands going here. The first one is this. You need to identify what is good, what is noble, what is lovely, what is excellent, and what is worthy to be praised. So we don't get to run through life vegged out. It is not a uh, Christian option to live life without intentionality and some purpose to what you're dwelling on and thinking about. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, anything admirable, anything excellent or worthy to be praised, identify these things. This means if I you know, do come home and click on the television. If I pick up a book to read or I'm reading, you know, articles online, I've got to be able to answer the questions. Is this good? Is this worthy of praise? Is this true? Is this excellent? And if it passes the test of true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, when you've identified it, fill your mind with those things. I think that you and I have to become very critical about our intake and then begin to look at all things with a godly, Christ-centered, God-saturated worldview. You know, the example I like uh, is the movie Gladiator. Right? It might surprise you, but the movie Gladiator is 15 years old now. But I still really like that movie. Um, it makes me want to you know, pick up some dirt and rub it in my hands and fight somebody, you know. It's just great. It kind of stirs up all this manly stuff in me. Um, it's just that kind of movie. But in the middle of the movie, they do this, this shot of Rome. The whole movie is kind of about the greatness of Rome, which is something that I'm very interested in. So I'm watching Gladiator, and I begin to think about the history of Rome and what Rome brought to the world that enabled the gospel of Christ to spread like it did. You know, before Rome, there weren't roads, there were no laws, no, you know, to protect people, there were no cities. It was Rome conquering the Greeks that made Hellenism possible, and you had the spread going everywhere. And so there were cities, and you got Apostle Paul who headed out to the cities to proclaim Christ, and you know people getting on boats and going to other cities, and that's how the gospel spread. And I, I think that that is watching a movie with God-centered lenses, you know, or you're watching sin and its devastating effects on our lives. You know, Hollywood really has—they know how to turn the switch on us. You know, how many times have you been to a movie where, where by the end of the movie you're cheering for the bad guy? You know, they make him out to be this good guy, but he's kind of the lesser of all the evils, but, you know, but you, we've all seen a movie where the criminal is trying to get his money back or survive, and he ends up hurting himself, and we're just like, oh, that's just horrible. No, it's not. Right? That's what happens when you're living like that life. That's what happens. Well, we but we have to be able to learn and watch our intake and think about the things that we're seeing whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is true think upon these things now why is that why is it so difficult for us to with our minds focus on who Christ is and think deeply about who he is and follow through thoughts uh, through into application why is that so difficult for us i think that Part of, part of it is that we have an appetite for what is sinful, and we, when we begin to taste what is holy and righteous, we don't even know what to do with it. You know, I'm, not, I'm never going to tell you what to watch or what not to watch. But please don't pretend that when you watch TV, your mind is not being fed. You are feeding your mind every time you turn that thing on, every time you read a book, every time you listen to music, every time you look at a billboard, on your way down the street, and every time you pick up a magazine, every time you introduce into your mind anything visual, anything that's read or anything that's watched, you fed your mind. So when you begin to try to kind of wean yourself, or wean your mind off this constant kind of constant meal of worldly, fleshly trash, and begin to try to eat what's holy, you have to expect some friction and some frustration. Like, how easy is it for me to watch TV? How difficult is it for me to try to hang on to the word for a couple minutes? How easy is it for me to flip through the channels? How difficult is it for me to read the Bible? You know, you surely you can even see the spiritual implications and spiritual battle that goes on there. Why can you pick up a fictional book and read it for hours, yet you try to get into the Word and it's much harder? I mean, you can't tell me it's not an interesting book. Right, I mean, you've got everything from murder to romance to wars to bears coming out of the woods and killing teenagers. I mean, it's it's exciting stuff in that book. It's what's going on. There's something very spiritual going on there. I think we don't know how to get our minds around God because we've eaten so much junk for so long that to eat what is healthy and good for us tastes weird at first. So we just kind of give up. And I think the other reason is that we're in a rush. We're just in a maddening rush. That's not changing. Funny thing is that we come up with, you know, technologies that help us save time. So we save the time and then cram more trash into our save time. You know, that's what we do. We're like, oh, I can get my email streamed right to me. That means I can add nine more appointments to my already crazy schedule. That's what we do. That's all technology has done for us. So I've got to have some places where there's no technology to beckon me. I think you have to have proactive, scheduled, intentional time to study and pray and think on the things of God. And that's not going to look the same for everybody. I've spent a lot of time trying to kind of figure out how my mind works and what stimulates my mind. You know, there's something about cold weather, overcast skies, the smell of coffee that makes me want to study. There's something about being out in nature. There's something about walks in the woods. There's something about having a, you know, a notebook or a journal and a nice pen. You have to have a nice pen, right? I'm kind of a pen addict. Some people are addicted to heroin. I'm addicted to pens. There's something about those things or situations that makes me want to press in. There's something that triggers something in my mind that makes me want to absorb truth. My, my, My wife and I have spent time discussing how our minds work and how we learn. My wife doesn't really learn that way. She just kind of places books on her head and the information flows into her mind. But she's amazing. She's very different than I am. So there's a lot of my life and a lot of my thinking and learning that is built around how I know my mind works. When I know I can absorb information, I know my mind is really engaged. So I try to walk in that. But a lot of us, we're rushed and we don't have time to figure it out. We don't think deeply about how to learn and press into God. We don't think back and go, what is it? What was it in my life in those times that I was really growing in Christ and I was really learning? in Christ? What were the things that worked me toward that and moved me towards that? So we don't think about those things. We, ha- we haven't written them down, down and haven't thought them through. So being intentional about how you think is so important. Ephesians five fifteen through 17 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How you see the world, what you take in, how you see yourself, how you think about God, thinking rightly is so important. So I think that there is a very proactive, offensive way of pursuing God with your mind. But there's also a defensive way of protecting the mind, focusing on what is right and getting rid of lies. So let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So you got this warning, warning from Paul saying, my fear for you is not some moral issue. You know, my fear for you is not <clears throat> goodness versus immorality. That's not my fear for you. My fear is that in Subtle, simple, crafty ways, your mind can be deceived and led astray. <clears throat> Excuse me. And why is this such a big deal? Because where the mind is, the life follows. That's why there's such a great concern about the life of the mind to the Apostle Paul. That's why he's going to tell you to guard it. He's going to call it the wellspring of life. Over and over again, he's going to make this plea to be careful because the mind is deceitful above all things. It's so easy. To get off in the way we think. Paul also taught us in Second Corinthians ten, three through five, he said this to the Corinthian church who they were believing all kinds of lies. So he said, <clears throat> For though we live as a world in live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So if you're a Christian, this is really good news. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We've got super supernatural weapons available to us. He said, on the contrary, our weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, I don't think this means we just walk around all day going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I don't think it works like that. You know, I think a lot of us for take every thought captive used in the context of sex, but it doesn't necessarily even mean that. If you're a married man, think about sex with your wife. Here's what I think it means. <clears throat> what what's our spiritual enemy's greatest weapon? Satan. He's called the father of what? Lies. And so what he tries to do is he tries to convince us the things, of things that aren't true, in our thought process, so we can build a life on a lie rather than the truth. Because when you know the truth, Jesus says the truth will set you free. So I love this. We demolish the lies and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So when we think about the wrong things, I can't make a difference. I'm never going to amount to anything. No, 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 no. We're defensive against the lies. Okay, We take those thoughts captive and we're going to make them obedient to Christ. Oh man, I'm never gonna overcome this. I've been addicted for so long and I've tried and I prayed and I can never. And I know that's trash. True is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. And so we take the thoughts that are untrue, we capture them and we make them obedient to Christ. We capture destructive thoughts, we make them obedient to Christ. Truth or trash? When your mind says something that's untrue, that's trash. I'm going to focus on what is true, and I'm going to transform my life. Because as a person thinks, so he becomes. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Therefore, I will take every, ca- every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I'll fix my thoughts on things that are pure and lovely and admirable. And if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I will think on those things. We fix our thoughts on spiritual things. We focus on the eternal. We see the good. We focus on spiritual matter. So don't miss the power of this. Some of you, you are one thought away from having your life totally and completely changed. When you stop believing the lies of Satan and embracing the truth of our good God. You fixed your mind on spiritual things. If you're a follower of Christ, you can see God working if you look for it. You will find what you're looking for. <clears throat> if you look for spiritual things, you'll find spiritual things. Like this, like this past fall, I started seeing, started seeing scarves everywhere. It's crazy. I saw scarves everywhere. I've never seen a, noticed a scarf in my entire life. Then my wife got a couple. And because I'm quick, I said, Wow, scarves must be new and in style. And she was like, No. They've been around a long time. I was like, really? Wow. And after that, I started seeing scarves everywhere. Scarf, 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 scarf. They're everywhere. This summer, I saw a guy with a scarf, <laughs> which is scary. It also, <clears throat> it also made me wonder if it was hot or cold outside because I wasn't sure after I saw that guy because it felt hot, but that guy needed a scarf. So <laughs> I wasn't sure. So maybe I'll wear one sometime. A chevron, chevron scarf. That's how good I am, I even know what a chevron is. Because for 36 years I thought it was a gas station. I had no idea it could actually be a scarf. So if you ever, you know, it's, I see them everywhere now. It's the same with cars, you know. If you ever consider buying a certain model of a car, you'll start seeing them everywhere. You look for spiritual things and you will see them everywhere. How do you do that? And I'll give you a couple ways. <clears throat> when you wake up in the morning, set the tone of your day with something spiritual. Every day, instead of immediately picking up your phone, going to Facebook, Instagram, did I get a like? Instead, <clears throat> pick up your Bible and read a chapter. Let your mind start to move toward spiritual things. And then say a prayer. First thing in the morning. If you have to go to the bathroom, do that first. But then say a prayer. And it doesn't have to be like an hour-long prayer. It can be a prayer that simply says something like, God, thank you for this day. I know it's a gift from you. My gift is to give it back to you. Use me wherever you want. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. God, let me see where you're working. Guide my words. Guard my thoughts. Help my actions to give you glory. Lord, I give you permission to interrupt me all day. Help me to see where you're working, and I will join you. You pray that, and guess what? You're going to see good things. You're going to see God working everywhere. It's renewing the mind. So where do we so where do we go from here? How do we take this from something that we just hear to something that becomes a part of who we are? This week, what I want to do, what I want you to do is I'm going to give you a couple things to do. Number one, think about and strategize about how you're stirred to pursue Jesus with your mind. Right? How can you be proactive, intentional, on the offensive when it comes to you feeding your mind? Think about it. Strategize. And then number two, here's what I want you to do. Prayerfully seek God for one thought. One thought. One truthful thought about yourself or about God that replaces a lie that you've been telling yourself. Though maybe the lie is that you aren't acceptable to God that God doesn't love you. Maybe it's that you'll always be stuck where you are now, or that you can never get over what's going on in your life, or that you will never have joy or peace, or that God doesn't love you, or that whatever that lie is that you've been telling yourself, I want you to replace it with one small thought, one small truth, that could result in a bigger change than you could ever imagine. Because it's often... It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everybody wants. One thought that you will think again and again and again until your mind is renewed. The thought becomes truth in your heart and it changes the words you speak and the way that you live. It will change who you are. Because if you want to change your life, you start by changing the way you think. Because your thoughts... Create words, words create actions, actions create habits, habits create a destiny. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for these men and women. I pray this, that this afternoon might be filled with thinking through who we are, how we're wired. Father, we pray today that in your presence, God, that you would Begin to renew our minds with truth. That you would give us all one thought, one um, one small thought that would help direct the course of our year, and eventually, possibly, even change our destiny. God, I pray that you would show us those areas that we're um, we're absorbing that are not helpful. That we might begin to stimulate what is new in our lives. God, give us the power to recognize when we're believing Satan's lies. To capture those lies. To make them obedient to Christ. To focus on the truth. And let that truth change us to become who you want us to become. It's for your great name I pray. Amen.